I often deal deal with business owners who are blindly going down a path, and it sounds it sounds very let's say heroic that you know that they're never going to give up. But sometimes you put you know you push it too far. You've got to know when the end of the road is there. Never give up until it actually is time to give up. Yeah, I was attempted to be the first person. Uh, it wasn't a race, it wasn't a speed record, but I found myself rushing. I found myself making up my own timeline and saying I have to get to the next point before this date. And that was a load of bollocks. I didn't need to do that. I didn't need to compete with myself to that level. And I almost died because of it. And I learned a harsh lesson. And then, you know, after that, I started to top up more with my water. I started to take my time and listen more to my, to my body. Guys, Matt Haycock's here, and welcome to another episode of the Matt Haycock Show. One I am super duper excited for today because I've got not only a repeat guest, but who has become a good friend, Mr. Ash Dykes, and and this has actually given me uh, given given me a, a new angle to do before because I, I have done a couple of repeat co- podcasts with people. I certainly remember doing doing one. I've done three with a, a friend of mine, Bre- Brendan Lochnane, the, yeah. um, the, the the fighter. The fighter. But we've we've normally got a, a fight he's just done to talk about at the time. So when I knew I was doing this, I thought I don't want to repeat the stuff that Ash and I've already talked about. Mm. And also Ash has been uh, on the on a big kind of podcast podcast publicity trail, I guess, o- o- over the last month and year yeah. or so. So he's he's probably been telling a lot of similar stories so i wanted to try and find a different angle so i've gone back this morning and listened to the podcast that me and ash have done uh, i've also listened to a couple of other ones that he's done he's done with other people and what i've done is i've picked out various sentences quotes you know mini paragraphs you know th- things that you've talked about and i want to i want to kind of pick those and go deep and obviously we're going to be talking about some kind you know some of your stories some of your explorations and, and bits because it's just i guess anecdotally going mm. to come in but what i wanted to really get into more is is ash the entrepreneur and also, you know, Ash, living life on your terms, which I very much assume you do. I mean, again, we we talked, we probably talked about it last time, and you know, you you and I have talked about it in our friendship over the last couple of years. Yeah. But I just think there's there's so many things we can take from your story, take from your journey that are applicable to anyone in any stage of the life, whether mm. they're struggling, uh, you know, struggling to overcome something, whether whether they're an entrepreneur and they want analogies, you know, from from um, from, from from another space, you know, wh- whether it's people who who are not happy with the life they're living and and, and, they, and they want to go and do something else. So there's so much we can dig deep on, and yeah. I'm super excited. And I always love uh, I love doing podcasts with friends anyway because it, it just has a, a a different, more relaxed yeah. dynamic, doesn't it? Definitely. It does. Although it we, does. I feel like we're sat so far apart, you know, we're, we're, it's like an, right. it's like an awkward first date. This isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is. Can almost touch your hand from you. <laughs> well, we'll see how the next yeah. hour goes. We might get yeah. closer, get a little bit closer, inch by inch. <laughs> I mean, listen. I guess just for anyone who hasn't listened to the first episode or or, yeah. or hasn't seen the first one, which we'll put some links on this to make sure you can, just yep. to set the scene. I mean, Ash is he's an explorer, he's an adventurer, he's a he's an international action man. Um, <laughs> I think your, your your world record was walking uh, the Yangtze River, which yeah. is four thousand miles. You did in three hundred and fifty two days. That's it. Look at that. For, yeah, I, I remembered. Good boom, memory. Boom. But yeah, yeah God, set a bit more context. Yeah, so that was in two thousand nineteen. That was the sort of biggest, the most ambitious expedition. It was Guinness World record it was nat geo um documentary it was then onto the joe rogan podcast and sort of really was the catalyst of the the career uh, but before that i also became the first person to hike madagascar's length that was 155 days 1600 miles and that was just brutal everything happened i don't think there was one day that was just a pleasant day's trek uh, and then mongolia was the first record and that was solo unsupported 
invalid insurance, no pickup or evacuation plan, uh, pulling a, an 18 stone trailer behind, carrying everything that I needed to survive the 1,500 mile across the Altai Mountains, Gobi Desert and Mongolian Steppe. But, but even before that, there were lots of um, dangerous, reckless and illegal adventures that I'd done from 19 to, to 22, which I discussed as well on your previous Exciting. podcast. Well, listen, let's get straight in it then with a, yep. with a question that I guess I haven't prepared because you, you just made me think of it then. Yep. You said you said that the Yangtze River one, the, the, the kind of National Geographic, that was the, the start of the career really, as in when it, when it went from, I guess, being a hobby to, to, be, to being a career. Yeah. I mean, pr- prior to that, did you think that was going to be turning it into a career, turning it into something monetized, or, or were you still kind of just having fun, you know, living life, being an adventurer at that point? Yeah, no, you know, I I was struggling. Um, the Yangtze was one that I had to do because Mongolia and Madagascar, whilst they were a world first and they did change things, they didn't change things significantly and I wasn't earning good money, whereas I thought I would after Mongolia. It was 23, it was 2000 and. 14, I thought once I do this, that'll be a recorded world first. There aren't many left um, in the world. And so I thought that's going to be a tipping point. That's the equivalent of a gold medal. I like to see people do say as, but there was nothing. I think for that whole year I made, never said this, but I think I made no more than £4,000 in the whole 12 months. I was still living with my parents. I gave up my life in Thailand as a scuba diver, Muay Thai fighter. I was living with them and I told them that this Mongolia will change everything and it, it just didn't. And I was like, right, we're going to go again. And this time I'm going to make it Madagascar. And then Madagascar was, you know, I hope to break that on TV. But again, that was a, a, a year that I, I struggled with. Maybe, again, brutally honest, 12 to 15,000 pounds. That whole year that I made off the back of Madagascar. And I thought two world records aren't enough. Yes, it was my, it was my passion. I did love doing it, but I was pushing myself so hard and seeking out these first so that I could change the way I was living. And I was living on a low budget. You know, I didn't see money from a healthy point of view. I thought it was a necessity. I had to make it. I had to go out, do nine to five or work in a fish and chip shop. I just didn't have a healthy attitude towards money, but that was because I wasn't making money. And so I became bitter, quite sour. And then after Madagascar, I was like, right, this needs to be such a big first. We need TV, we need big sponsors, that um, it changes everything. It, it took two years to plan, but after Yangtze, that's when I when I saw the big change and that changed everything for me after. And look, we'll get into kind of getting deeper on Ashley Entrepreneur later on in this, but just mm. a, a couple of questions off the back of what you were saying. I mean, in that year where you earned four grand or in that year where you kind of earned 12 to 15, yeah. how were you earning that? Was, was that from monetizing the adventures in some way? That wasn't you working at working a side job. That was <coughs> taking some sponsorship or something. Was it? Yeah, that was mainly presentations. So you know, I was charging back then. Again, I'd be excited to secure a presentation for £300 for like a good one or two hours. And I thought that was a big deal back then. Um, obviously, we've progressed and moved a lot further since then. But, you know, I was securing big talks back then for that age after doing something that I loved. And it was kind of then that I was inspired to pursue it even more. I kind of, and that's what kept me on track. Just when I thought that, you know, I need to get a, a normal job or I need to move back to Thailand, which I didn't like living in Thailand. I enjoyed it, but I was always counting the pennies to see if I could get the boat to the next island next door to have a good time. And if you counted pennies in Thailand, when it's such a cheap country as it is, you're in, you're in big trouble, you know? And so I kind of knew that 
I am earning. Um, I couldn't afford to move into my own place. Uh, my parents allowed me to stay with them uh, rent free because I was struggling to share and they could see. And every time I thought, right, this is it. I need to get myself a new. I've tried, I failed, but there's no harm in failure. Now time to get myself a normal job. There would be a presentation that would happen or a sponsor that would show interest or a magazine that would sort of take notes and get me more publicity, which would bring in new opportunities. And, and I think it was little incentives like that that kept me on track. It kept me believing when I really should have given up. I tell you, it's funny though, because you said something a minute ago, which I'd actually made a note of when uh, when I was listening this morning yeah. about the fact that you moved on to your next adventure because you were bored of being uh, of earning money by being a scuba diving instructor and uh, getting paid to do Thai boxing fights mm. in Thailand. I'm thinking, you know, <laughs> what, what level of adventure must you need in your life to think i mean the, the entire world must must kind of dream of or not never mind dream be be scared to think of a life of being living in thailand being a scuba diving instructor mm. getting paid to be a fighter i mean it, it's it's like a it's like a thai james bond isn't it but for you <laughs> yeah. for you that is just too boring <laughs> yeah yeah it's funny and you, and you yeah. move on and find find the next kick <laughs> yeah exactly yeah i think with scuba diving it became just a job and it's kind of like with everything it sounds good and exciting i guess it's the same with skydiving instructors as well it's great but then when you teach it as your as your job and i know some skydiving instructors they actually get bored or they want more money from it because it becomes very repetitive like any job and so with scuba diving yeah i was kind of like this is fun but i can't be doing this year after year for another 10 years and then when i'm in my 30s or in my 40s i'm still earning what I was earning maybe £400 a month. And I, th I just thought, I, I can't I can't be doing that, you know? So it was, it was that sort of, that uh, changed my mindset and thought, well, I don't want to go to a different nine to five either. And uh, yeah, I started to think maybe there's something in it in these world firsts, which was Mongolia that I didn't know was a world first. But once I clicked and, and registered that, hang on, if I complete it, it's a first. It's that that got my brain ticking, thinking maybe I can do something after that. And tell me, how do you feel kind of coming back to, I mean, never mind just coming back to, I mean, obviously you live in, you know, you live in England, England is home. Yeah. And, you know, I think about this from my own personal perspective that, you know, and obviously I've got a much lower sense of adventure than you, but, uh, you know, now I live in Dubai. I mean, I've been there for the last two and a half years. And when I come back to England, I find it, I don't want to say I find it depressing. I don't want, I don't want to get into a, a, a rant, rant of England bashing. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it is a real, it's a real chore for me, to, for, for me to be back here. You know, my life feels elsewhere. You know, my home feels elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Aside from it being home, you know, I, I need the things that are in that location. You know, whether, whether that's the, the sun or the energy or the optimism or, or the or the, the bits surrounded by those high caliber people, etc. So, you know, yeah. when, I, when I come back now, if it wasn't for the fact that uh, my daughter's here, my eldest daughter's in England, I mean, I wouldn't come back. I mean, obviously my Go business ahead. is here, but yeah. I just, I don't really need to be here or, or I, I, I dip in and out. Yeah. I mean, how, how does that feel for you? Because I mean, yes, it's probably different thing. I'm seeking different things in Dubai to what you're seeking on an adventure. Mm. But, you know, I am drawing some parallels from that and and, you're, and yours are probably on steroids. I mean, like I'm waking up on Saturday morning, my first day back in England and I'm getting irritated. Because, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the missus and I, first thing we do when we wake up in the morning is we both pick our phones up and we both go to a, an app in Dubai called Kareem, which is like the, the buy version of Deliveroo. Okay. Yeah, and you go on there and it's 24 hours. Yeah. And there must be, I'm not joking, there must be three or 4,000 restaurants on wow. there. Uh, and there's everything from 
spending three quid on a kebab to a hundred quid on a truffle pasta. Right. Um, and you know, it's all there in 35, 45 minutes and yeah. you can you can niche down into the keto diet, the juice diet, you know, restaurants under 500 calories. I mean, you can have whatever you want. Wow. So I wake up I wake up on the, on Saturday morning, it's a muck chicken sandwich or nothing or it's <laughs> exactly. a, a, a walk to the co-op to get some to get some mighty white and, and they're mm. my they're my small scale first world problems. I mean, I'm talking to a guy here who, you know, who wanted to get a 10 pound BMX to, uh, you know, to, to <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a cycling country. It's a cycling country. I yeah. mean, I mean, d- d- does it does it feel? What's the word? Um, oh, like, like claustrophobic or irritating for you? When I come back here, mm. I yeah, I you, I used to feel that. I used to feel, especially Mongolia and Madagascar. I used to get quite. I'm not going to say depressed, but down and out. Where I was a case of like, it's raining, it's dark, it's gloomy. There's no interaction with people. People stay indoors, especially in the winter. And we're social creatures, right? And in Dubai. You, you don't have that. You're always communicating. You're always meeting new people. And I love communicating, meeting new people. And then when I found I come back from sort of my adventures around the world back into the UK, there was just not that that communication, seeing people out and about. So I did miss that. It was only after the Yangtze that I kind of realized what I needed to do. And that was like, stay busy. So now when I come back to London, because I'm at, at like a different stage of my career now, but I haven't made it made it like you've made it made it where you can literally go wherever you want at any point i'm getting there but i'm not there yet and so when i come back from the yangtze or these adventures i focus on what needs to be done whilst i'm back and right now it's all exciting for me it's like my production team working um on my latest tv show it's me kind of meeting up with book publishing agents so i think if it wasn't for that i would need to be based somewhere else for sure and i do think Eventually, I will need to head off and seek. You know, I've always looked in at uh, Dubai, move my limited company out there and be based there. Dubai is one well, of I those. I remember that... you, you, you came on my first, it was your first time, wasn't it? It was. It was your first time on my first time. We went in December 2020. Yeah, and then yeah. again in 2021, February. Uh, do, do, do you remember we uh, we, your... we, we took quad bikes in the desert yeah. and I was wearing a pink dress? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, and there was that, wasn't it? The Greek restaurant where we were just smashing yeah, plates yeah. over each other's heads. I, and, and do you remember, I mean, it's, it's obviously not as exciting as trying to uh, try try to, to sk- skip a country with no with no passport like you were doing on your journeys. But do you remember course, we went with the girls to uh, to try and get into Abu Dhabi for the yeah. Grand Prix? We, yeah. we, we, we couldn't we couldn't we get tried in to stay we low on the radar and we got uh, yeah kicked out. <laughs> we we were refused entry. Oh man, good times. We ended up yeah. we, we, we went to Namos, didn't we? I ended up, Namos. Ended up in Namos smoke, yeah. smoking a shisha instead. Yeah. Sulking away. <laughs> oh, we were so close. Oh man, yeah, good times. Good fucking times. And then again in 2021, wasn't it? So yeah, you know, I think that's a place where I want to base myself in the future. I want to place out there because you, you're right. As much as now I'm loving it because I've only moved to London about two months ago and I'm loving London and what it has to offer, but it's been great weather. And so I could be blind of the fact that this is marvelous weather, whereas in the winter, that's all going to change and I'm not going to see the sun. It's going to be clouds. It's going to be like seven hours daylight. But again, you know, I have to stay dogged. I'm not there yet. I'm still in the grind, if you like. So uh, I'm just appreciating everything right now, taking it by stride and just trying to progress. Do you miss any aspects of Wales? Um, Not yet, but I, I think I will because it's only two months and I find myself, I'm, I'm really busy here. And so every day there's something that needs to be done and I'm meeting people, holding meetings or doing podcasts. Whereas in Wales, I just felt out of it. You know, there's no one coming in from Dubai 
to Wales. There's no one sort of, no good meetings, no good brands. My production team, if they needed me, I would need to take a, a trip from Wales and they'd need to cover that and I'd need to stay in a hotel and all of that. So now that I'm here in, in London, everything's on my on my doorstep. Like this morning, I walked here. It was 15 minutes from I my noticed, place. I noticed on Insta, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got here a lot quicker than me. My, 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 my train going to King's Cross at half past nine, it took me 15 minutes to get here. Wow, yeah, crazy. I mean, have you got have you got any advice to any to anyone thinking about moving to somewhere else? Because I, mean, I, I, I talk about this with, with Dubai a lot, and, and I know when I first moved there, for me, there was no real decision. I'd kind of gone on that holiday where, where you and I had gone together. I'd gone for eight days. Mm. There was a lockdown in the UK. Yeah. And for me, it was very easy for eight days to become 14 to become a month that, that that just went on because I didn't I didn't really feel any desire or attachment to come back to England yeah but when I talk about the move for me it was just always very simple I just move I, I decided I wanted to move and I, and, 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 I, and I moved and people in the UK particularly would make a big song and dance and go, oh my god you're moving to Dubai it's crazy you're not gonna you're not gonna like it you're gonna be so unhappy and and what you're gonna do if you don't like it to which my answer was well it was very easy to move and it'll be very easy to move back. It's right. you know, it's a, a plane ticket and a couple of suitcases there. It's a plane ticket and a couple of a couple of suitcases back. Yeah. I think, but people, people underestimate. Sorry, they overestimate the difficulty involved in making a move. Yeah, and they underestimate the impact that making that move will have on them. You know, whether whether that is career prospects for someone like you. I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, finding production companies, finding sponsors, etc. In Wales, yeah. you know, not 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 going to be easy. Nope. But you know, we, we always. I guess naturally gravitate to where we're born because that's where our family are. That, that's that's where our friends are. In the same way that you know, growth comes from any learning, any edu, edu any education, any failings you know that, that we do along the way. Yeah. I think people completely <laughs> underestimate the importance of moving to somewhere else. Yeah. And that's you know, listen, I, I'm not here to sing the virtues of Dubai, for example, or you you not to do, to do it for London because we, we've all got something that is more relevant to to what we want to do, whether it's seeking. You know, a bigger career, whether it's seeking, uh, you know, a better level of education, whether it's even you know seeking relationships, you know, so so that you don't have to marry the bird down the street that you've known your entire life because yeah, right. there's only three fit birds in the, yeah. in, in, in the local town. Yeah. That move and that growth is so important, but it's such yeah. a such a fear factor for so many people. I mean, you know, obviously you you've done it now. Was it complicated? No, it seemed complicated at the beginning. It seemed overwhelming, but um, again, I just focused on one step at a time with everything breaking the goals down. And you're right, I think as humans, we just thrive on development. And the only way to develop yourself is, is through experience, right? And it's one of those with moving and with getting out there, it's stuff like that, I almost say, it can't be explained, it has to be experienced because you could sit there all day long and explain the benefits of just trying something. But if they don't get it, they're never gonna, never gonna do it. And that's what I saw. I kind of looked at the, the pros and cons to doing the adventure, to going off traveling. And all of my friends were kind of like, yeah, but what are you going to do once you've ticked off the bucket list for the world's highest bungee or trekking the Great Wall? At the end of the day, you're going to return home. We would have secured our degrees, a master's degree. We would have moved on with our careers, found a, a job that's paying well, and you'll still be traveling, ticking off bucket list after bucket list. And I knew that that wasn't the vision. I knew that I was going out to travel in order to learn more ex and experience more, which would then open up new opportunities and options to life because I knew my careers advisor was wrong when she listed eight different occupations that you could potentially do. I knew there were hundreds, hundreds of thousands out there. It's just I wasn't seeing them where I was currently based. So sometimes you just got to get out of that box, haven't you? Absolutely. Um, and you're right, you know, if it's a big move, you can always move back. 
you can always move back. If it doesn't work out, at least now you would have experienced it. You would have figured it out. Me coming to London, it's been one of those whereby I kind of think I should have moved sooner. Sooner. Yeah. And I think as well, you know, I, I always find that people people use uh, money or f- finance as, as, as an excuse. And they say, oh, it's very, very easy for you to move to Dubai because, mm. you know, because you've got a business or, or you, you've got the money to do it. I mean, my circle of friends o- over there is is everything from, okay, okay, yes, very wealthy people, but, you know, massage therapists, personal trainers, PAs, sales, you know, yeah. I mean, a, a, any, any, you know, what would be considered a normal, normal job in the UK, you know, yeah. not, not people with big money, with big earnings, yeah. you know, with, with big They're savings. Married, got kids, and, moved you know, their family sometimes, right? Absolutely. Okay. It's a, an economy plane ticket, not a first class plane ticket, or it's yeah. one suitcase and, and, a, and a cheap flat, not yeah. 10 suitcases, an expensive flat, right. but you know, with, within, within reason, your, your only limiting factor on this is, is your fear and your mindset, not your finances and your ties. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's that lack of understanding, right? I think when someone doesn't really know where to start, it's just easy not to start. Whereas if you look at locations, if you find the relevant contacts, if you can speak to someone who's done it before, then you put the picture together and you find out, oh, hang on, it's more achievable than I'm anticipating here. But I think people like to scare themselves. And I know that all too well with the sort of Mongolia trip. You know, everyone was saying that's impossible. It can't be done. People have tried, people have failed, people have almost died. And it was a case of, yeah, but that's them. As long as I do it properly and manage it correctly, do it on my own terms my own timeline then uh, maybe it's doable well that is a nice segue into what i was gonna have as our as our first question from things that you've historically said actually so yeah i heard this quote from the from the well, well-known podcast the matt haycock show nice uh, <laughs> now uh, you, you said last time we spoke you said yeah. just because someone hasn't done something doesn't mean it can't be done mm. and this this resonated with me as well because i suffer from people in business a lot kind of almost like turning that the other way around basically saying this is the way other people do it and therefore this is how we should be doing it too right i've obviously never thought in those terms because i've always wanted to i guess break the mold or or, or find, find a way to do what hasn't hasn't been done before and it was only as you know over the last few months that i'd actually come across the concept of well not the concept but the the definition of first principles thinking mm-hmm. and I, I started to read read a bit deeper into that and yeah and i guess uh, being a being a new father again i'm going to be going to be looking forward to hearing why 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 right and, uh, for anyone listening to this you know, who doesn't know what the first principles thinking is it's, it's effectively you're breaking everything down to the to, to the early, early stages and, and, and the kids are the prime example because they'll go why are we wearing that today mm. oh well because we're going to at the office but why do we have to wear a suit in the office well because we're supposed to be smart in the office but why and then ultimately yeah. you, you, most of these things you tend to hit a point where it's well, just because, just, just, just because that's, that's, what, that's what we've always fucking done, you know. Yeah. Like, like, you know, um, you put your cutlery like that, or eat, eat your food, whatever it may yeah. be. And I, I suffer it a lot in business because you know people who've come from particularly bigger organisations, you know, very, very much like say, so, well, that's how they do it. So, so, so we we should be doing it, mm. doing it too. Whereas nine times out of ten, the people who you're looking at aren't actually achieving an outcome that you want anyway. It's just, it's just how that how they've been doing it, and, and what we need to do is is break it back down to its beginning principle and find a way to get what we want so I mean you were you were effectively saying saying the op- the same thing but in in, in, an, in an opposite way because you know you're you're trying to achieve things that other people haven't done and particularly I know when you did the did the Yangtze thing someone had tried to do it and he'd and he this was not just a someone this was I think for, from memory like an, an ex-military guy with yeah. Navy SEAL you know a very yeah. experienced explorer and not only had he tried to do it he'd failed three times he'd been evacuated
graduated. Yeah. Uh, but that you know that wasn't enough to put you off. Just because he hadn't done it didn't mean there wasn't a way for you to find a way. So yes. I think it, it was a very important quote. Um, Definitely. And and, and yeah, I just want to I want to dig a bit deeper on that because yeah. uh, it, it applies so much to business and life in general. Yeah. So I remember that clearly, and I remember it really getting me down because I did have massive doubt. And this was actually this was Mongolia. So it was the desert that was that I was going to cross. And this guy, not only was he a, a Navy soldier, but he was a desert explorer. And I was your sort of, you know, your sort of beach bum living on an island, fighter, scuba diver, 22, no military background, and had never been to a desert before. I was living on an island, you know? And so I think with that and the list that he sent me of all the different challenges, he dropped me a note, the guy directly who had attempted three times. And it was incredible is the ability to continue no matter what. And that quote terrified me. I didn't know what he meant by that. It didn't make sense to me. I was there out thinking maybe that's his polite way of saying you don't stand a chicken's chance. Or maybe he's rooting for me and he's saying you've got to like do something incredible to get through the hurdles that I face. I didn't know. And then when I started to speak to more people and sort of they were putting more doubts and fears into my into my head saying it's impossible experienced people as well people who were local to the country what did that did that guy say to you you nuts don't do it he didn't he said look out for the dangers and then left that incredible as the abilities to continue no matter what but the dangers were sort of like drunken nomadic drifters grey wolves stagnant water dry wells snow blizzards sandstorms and it was a big list and it did it did put me off did you ask him why he never tried a fourth time um I didn't I didn't ask but I think from the I think he suffered um, psychologically. I think he was out there and it's just his mind and then the dehydration on top of it. The desert just does something to your mindset when you're out there and you've got to stay strong and remember your why, which again is great for business, right? In business, you're dealing with a lot of money. You're dealing with a lot of people, a lot of sort of decision makers and there's big risks involved and it's easy to just sort of bail out when you could be so close to achieving something great. I watched, um, I, I don't know the name of it. It's the... Uh, Nike, what's the, have you seen the new movie on Netflix? It's about Nike and how Nike is brand new this year, made a decision and took a huge gamble because it was Nike third place, Converse and then Adidas. And Nike were trying to be the top dogs for footwear. But Nike at that point were just laughed at. It was like, you can't compete with Adidas and Converse. And they had this, this vision of trying to get Michael Jordan on board mm. and Michael Jordan wasn't anything special then he was just sort of um, this guy was a headhunter and he could see something in Michael Jordan so he took a risk and he spent all of the budget that they had which was $250,000 and they normally split that amongst three players and the three players that they had left because Adidas and Converse snapped all the good ones up weren't that great so he said look there's a guy that's showing big talent let's invest all the money in him. And the boss was like, no, we, we can't do that. It's ridiculous. And like everyone was laughing, WME management laughing at him. And they ended up going ahead. And Michael Jordan said no, because why would he accept the same deal? And so what they ended up doing is giving him an allocated percentage, which was the first time that was ever done from business to athlete of footwear ever sold. I think he got 1% and we will create your own line and call them Air Jordans. And he agreed to that. And within that first year, they were hoping to make $3 million. They went on to make $400 million. <clears throat> and we have to, I'll have to Google this and watch this later. Check it out. I watched it the other night and I was like, wow, talk about business and taking risks. That was, and that just jumped them right up. And right now they make $4 billion a year on just that line, just Air Jordan line, still to this day. Wow. Tell me, because you, you said a minute ago about, mm -hmm. um, obviously, 
you know, parallels with business and, and, and not and not giving up. I guess there's, there's the old expression in, in business of never giving up and, you know, the right time to give up is never, etc. But I also believe from a business perspective that never give up until it actually is time to give up. Yeah. And this is normally a mistake that I guess earlier stage, earlier stage business owners, not necessarily early stage ones, but people who've never been through something utterly catastrophic and, and, and detrimental. And, and yeah. I mean, my, my backstory involves a very spectacular bankruptcy at, you know, 27, 28 years mm. old. And I actually look back now and think that I was I was lucky it happened to me. Right. But probably didn't feel it at the time and didn't didn't feel it for, for a few years thereafter. But, you know, I always very much believe that you only learn <clears throat> from the things that go wrong, not from the things that go right. Yeah, and, so and, and it's these, you know, it, it's these formative experiences that give us the knowledge we need. And, and often, and, and particularly in business, because I always say that there's no, you know, th- th- there's no kind of scoreboard. Okay, there's the money, but you know, th- there's no skill scoreboard or, or uh, let's say, intelligence scoreboard in in, in business to, to kind of you know sort the wheat wheat from the chaff. And you mm. know, someone who starts in business yesterday today is a business owner, and they kind of in their deluded minds, most of these people think, well, I own a business, therefore I'm a business owner. Mm. It's, it's probably. A bit of ego, a bit of pride and, and, and delusion, but you know they're they're very afraid to go and ask for help and and I guess ask for assistance, find mentors. Whereas if that was a sport, if that was a sporting context, you wouldn't say, "Oh, I bought a football for the first time yesterday, and I'm going to go and have a kick around with the boys from Man City." Yeah, but because it, it would just become completely obvious. You would never in your life be there. Never mind, n- never mind tomorrow. Yeah. So these these things that go these things that go wrong in business, you you probably never get the chance to experience, or ho- hopefully never get the chance to experience them. So what I find um so often with with people is because because they've never gone wrong they, they have the, the the fear factor the, you know the fear factor mm. of well i've got to go down this route because you know if, if you've not experienced it you don't have the certainty if you don't have the certainty you, you, you don't you don't have the confidence right. and i often deal deal with business owners who are blindly going down a path and it sounds it sounds very let's say heroic that you know that they're never going to give up but sometimes you put you know you push it too far you've got to know when the end of the road Breaking is there point. i've got it mm. with a client at the moment you a guy, historically very successful guy with a, with a fantastic business, who's managed to absolutely riddle it in debt, and it's got to a point now where he's hanging on for this one deal to happen. Because if this one deal happens, it pays off the what has become literally tens of millions of pounds of the debt Shit. to get him out of the hole. But the problem is. Every day that goes on, waiting for this big deal to happen, he's causing irreparable damage to what is a core, decent, decent un- underlying business. Right. And I've been trying to say to him, right, listen, we need to have a conversation so I can teach you how to take the good parts of the business that you've got left mm. and effectively sideline side it over here and then you know, make sure you've got something that's protected yeah. so that when this new this new money doesn't come in when this deal doesn't happen you've got this business protected here because every week that goes on you're doing more and more damage to the point that it will it will ultimately be irrecoverable and i keep saying to you, so what's your backup plan i don't have a backup plan because this deal has, has to happen to this deal has a. to happen yeah and so listen I, I get it believe me no one no one's you know more motivated and fearless in these business situations than i am but some, mm. sometimes you have to be have to be realistic and accept defeat on yeah, something when it's be, 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 because otherwise you're never going to be in a position to, to actually keep this and move forward and i guess you know the analogy to that um in in the stuff you do is it is it's death isn't it you know you, yeah. you push and push and push and push until you can't push and um when I mean, i've gone off on a very long run 
ramble there, haven't I? But uh, no, but uh, I mean, are there any circumstances that that you that you can think of to draw some parallels from there? Oh yeah, plenty, plenty. And I think even in the Gobi Desert, the way that I was pushing myself, and it turned out to you know I was kind of competing with a speed allocated time that that wasn't there because with that it was just. I was attempted to be the first person. Uh, it wasn't a race. It wasn't a speed record. But I find myself rushing. I find myself making up my own timeline and saying, I have to get to the next point before this date. And that was a load of bollocks. I didn't need to do that. I didn't need to compete with myself to that level. And I almost died because of it. And I learned a harsh lesson. And then, you know, after that, I started to top up more with my water. I started to take my time and listen more to my to my body. Because if I did Porsche and I was focused on speed, record then I would have died trying to do it and it would have been game over anyway and same with the malaria one I guess listening to my body and having that plan b of okay if tomorrow is is no better I need to just hold my hands up admit defeat I get myself to the nearest city because what's the alternative you know it's, it's death and that sounds like that is that is business what's the alternative is business it's bankruptcies and it's gonna it's gonna fail and I wonder if that comes through just doggedness or gambling too much and taking risk after risk after risk like why hasn't he remedied it yet is it because he can continues to take the risks you're asking me yeah why is he not oh it's not remedied because because the deal the deal he thinks is going to happen mm. is absolute fairy tale it's it, it, yeah, it's, okay. it's, it's, it's never never happening yeah. and if he was i wouldn't even say if he was more experienced if he was not emotionally attached to the situation that we're yeah. talking about he would be able to like if you were Step telling him if you were it. telling him that story and it was nothing to do with him he would say ash you're a fucking lunatic mate that mm, deal is you. never ever ever happening but he is so invested and emotionally attached to this situation because if this deal doesn't happen the knock-on effects are so catastrophic it's just making him have these these blinding glasses mm. that, uh, that 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 th- think you know think it's yeah. going to happen i saw a video of yours as well actually when you were talking about emotional and attra- emotional attra- attachments to to investments mm. and you were saying it's important that you don't think on your emotions and you keep it separate but it's also vitally important to have options uh, i think it was the your place in dubai that you put uh, an offer into you rested for seven eight weeks and just let it let it go by you gave a great offer and you were waiting to hear back and they were given counter offers and you were like no the offer is as it stands but at the same time whilst that was a great deal and if, if you took that that would be a huge win i remember you said you had like six seven maybe eight different offers, and yeah. you were saying that you, you had no emotions tied in with that offer that you really wanted because you've given yourself other opportunities and options here. absolutely and I, I guess fleshing that out what i always say is that i think the best negotiating tactic mm. is preparation and multiple options in your, in your pipeline right. and I, I always say that you know I, I don't think I'm a great negotiator some people may say that I am because of some of the deals I've done mm. but I'm not one of these guys who who can have clever lingo mumbo jumbo and you right. know ne- necessarily balls people out <laughs> if, if I've only if I've only got one option yeah. you know my strategy which I really believe can be applied by anyone because all it takes is 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 hard work and, and, and preparation is to make sure you've got a big pipeline whether that's for sales whether it's whether it's for buying something so I mean you, you talk about my apartment in Dubai mm. where you know I was totally unemotionally attached to it because I knew that if I didn't if that one didn't sell to me then I've already lined up six or seven or eight other ones Right. You know, when, when I went to buy my boat, yeah, I identified the boat that I wanted or, or, or the model of boat that I wanted. I could have quite happily not had it. Well, yeah, I wanted to buy it, but I could have quite happily not had it. And I went and found 10 people who mm. were all selling the same boat and then went to offer every one of them yeah. 50% of the asking price. Right. I say for me, it's it's 
the world's simplest negotiating strategy mm. because ultimately it relies on catching catching the right person on the right day. Yeah. My ex-wife, you know, she always used to ring me up and she said, I found, I found this horse that I want to buy want to buy for my daughter. You're good at negotiating. Ring them up and, um, and make them sell it to us for cheaper. <laughs> yeah. And I always used to say, you know, I don't have some magic trick. You know, I can't make someone sell something for less than they want to sell it for. Mm. You know, you can only get something at a particular price when there's a, you know, a willing buyer and a willing seller, you know, at, at at a mutually agreed price on a particular day, you know. And if you want ten grand for it, and you don't need to take less than ten grand, I only want to pay for seven grand. So pay you seven grand. I can use all the banter in the world, it's but but happening. but but it's just, it's just not happening. Yeah. What I need to do is I need to find ten of you because there will be one of you, or maybe ten's too small a number. Maybe it's twenty. Maybe it's thirty. That's why you know. That's why I would say that the, the efforts done, the efforts done at the beginning. You put your effort in the beginning. Yeah. The back end looks easy. If I've got ten of you or twenty or thirty of you lined up, there will be one of you who's just had a credit card bill drop this morning mm. or who's just, you know, the missus needs to leave them or, or, or whatever those circumstances are that are going to put him in a tougher financial position than you. Yeah. Or you're just about to go on your next adventure. So you think, fuck it, I could do with a bit of cash. And that's the so, trigger so, so, point. And, 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 that's, and, that, and that's, that's the only way you can do it. Yeah, got you. Yeah, because I remember seeing that video and I actually took inspiration off that for TV, for TV shows, because I found myself constantly focusing on one channel. That channel's channel four in the UK with Mongolia. We, you know, we were unsuccessful. We didn't get that on any TV platform, but I, I went again with Madagascar and we were unsuccessful with that. We didn't get any TV platform. And I remember it, I don't regret it, but I do remember looking and constantly pushing and fighting for a TV channel you know, in the UK, predominantly channel four, because I had some competition that was on channel four and I thought my expeditions stood out more I thought my personality was better, you know, and I thought the stories and the engagements that I had with the locals would interest the audience more than sort of his stories and his engagements because he, he's a man of very few words. And so I was like, what is this? What is the deal? And so that really frustrated me. And it was up until the Yangtze where then I was really focused in on just a number of different UK channels, but it was only now the Great War where I thought, fuck it, I don't, I, 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 any channel is good, international, UK, it doesn't matter. And it was only when I thought, you know, fuck it, it doesn't matter that uh, Channel 4 are really interested in taking this show. And I'm like, wow, isn't it weird how I was so strung up on like emotionally attached yeah. to one specific channel where there's hundreds of thousands of channels all over the world, you know, bigger channels as well that get bigger views. But UK is my home country. Channel 4 is the one that I really wanted to, to look into. And it's only when I just let go of all of that and open myself to all the rest of the ch channels that they come floating in and potentially close to, to taking it, fingers crossed, touch wood. And I was just like, wow. And I remember seeing that um, that clip that you, it was probably only a few months ago, right? And I just, yeah, it was the same with me. Don't take things personally for like, rejections from different sponsors. Don't get so caught up on working with a specific brand or a specific TV channel because there's so many opportunities out there. But I wasn't opening up those opportunities because I was so fixated, focused on one, that I was missing all the noise around me. I mean, that's such a good analogy. And I think that the, the step further I'd go on that as well for, for anyone anyone who's got their own, let's say, Ash-style adventure or Ash-style mm -hmm. thing that, that they want to do is in today's world now, if you can't... So, yeah, don't concentrate on one TV channel. Concentrate on 10, 20, 50, 100. Yeah. And if none of those want you, well, all the platforms are out there for you to do it yourself. Yeah. And there's and, and there's true. And there's more there's more than one way to skin a cat. And if if no one else will hire you, 
then go and, go and find the sponsors or find the budget or do it some other way and go and go and create you know create your adventure create your personality on youtube on instagram on on how on however you're going to do it because ultimately yep. you can either a build a big enough audience to monetize yourself there anyway or b you know let let your product do the talking and you know don't be they say emotionally attached and arsy about it. Oh, Channel Four don't want me. Mm-hmm. You know, go out there, go out there and show Channel Four what they're missing. Exactly. You know, create it on YouTube, build the market, and then you know, when Channel Four come back, they can come back with a tail between their legs and, and pay you more money. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly that. Exactly that. So no, that is that is vital and it's interesting because you learn so many lessons as you go through life in general. Not you know me, yes, for adventure, but I've learned so much through business as well. Because it is 50% adventure and 50% business. It's not all on one, you know, because in order to be able to do these adventures, you have to be linking that in with business. Otherwise, it's it's literally just a hobby. And that's fine too. But it was the sake of it's for me, it was this or back to working in a fish and chip shop. Or it was this or back to working as a scuba dive in Thailand on like three, four hundred pounds a month. And so that's why I really focused so much on this. But then I've learned so much during the process, you know. And that's what I love. You you kind of do whatever career path you're on. It's never just as straightforward as you like to believe. There's so many things intertwined into that, right? We've had to deal with different book publishing agents and speaking agencies and, you know, how to build a brand and how to market. It all ties in and I, I love it. I have grown to love it. And now I have a healthier sort of mindset when it comes to finance because of it. Because yes, it's taken hard work. Yes, I had to, you know, really suffer, but um, it's all coming together now. Talk to me about death. About death. Uh, so, um, obviously, when I was listening listening to some stuff back this morning, you know, mm. you, you mentioned a couple of times of you know various situations that you've been in where you thought you thought that could have been the end. Yeah. And um, too many times, death's probably one of the few, th- only few things that scare you know scares me. I mm. mean, obviously, you're probably scared of snakes or whatever, but you know, like, I know in, what you mean. in terms of something something truly yeah. scary, uh, you know, for me, it's death, and and I guess because it comes with that fear of the unknown. I mean, it's the ultimate fear of the unknown, isn't yeah. it? And I always I, I describe my ability to control stress by the fact that I always say, if I look at any individual thing, I say to myself, is it going to bankrupt me or is it going to kill me? Mm. And if the answer to, to the question is no to either of those, I say, well, do, what do I give a fuck? You know, what is it to be stressed about? Yeah, it's so true. A lot <laughs> and, of people struggle with that though, right? Yeah, no, completely. And, and having been through the bankruptcy thing, I also know that that isn't isn't, isn't as bad yeah. and having been through it i've got the kind of i guess you know the knowledge and skills to deal with it but yeah. you know th- there is no one yet who can come back and tell us uh, <laughs> t- tell, tell us what it's like to be dead yeah uh, but i guess i only talk about it from the situation of knowing that at some point i will die mm. and not fancying it you've stared down the barrel of the gun mm. probably literally as well as fig- literally as, well, <laughs> yeah. as well as figuratively yeah. multiple times i guess questions what does it feel like how do you motivate yourself to go on did you really think you were going to die were you scared i don't know just talk, talk me yeah through it. maybe I, give an exact story to put a bit of context yeah i well. will because it's funny but because i've experienced you know near death a number of occasions i know that it comes in a number of different forms you know the feelings and the thoughts surrounding whatever situation that you're in like catching malaria was totally different to what I thought and I felt in the Gobi Desert where I was alone and there was no person and I knew that death was certain if I didn't make it. Malaria is one of those where I had guides with me, I could communicate with people and I didn't realise it but I was very quickly dying. 
a lot rap more rapidly than my time in the Gobi Desert, but I just didn't know it, and I felt safer because I was. So I was going to say, so you, but you didn't know at the time you were dying. It was just when you heard yeah. from the doctors afterwards what was going on. I didn't even know it was a disease. Didn't even know I had malaria. I could just feel my my body dying. Yeah, I think is the best way to put it. And when I say dying, I could feel myself. Um, going deeper and deeper into this agonizing pain and then almost into a more of a numbing pain uh which sent me into delirium you know i was i was mm-hmm. pretty delirious i started to sort of hallucinate there was sort not necessarily objects but more voices in my head and i'll tell you one scary example is the morning where i called it quits and i said i need to i need to get to the nearest city because this isn't dehydration this is some form of disease of some kind i woke up in the morning and there was about a 45 minute mental battle i just saw water on the side and i needed to get my water but i was also exhausted and i was fucked and i was drifting off to sleep dozing off and i could hear two voices in my head scarily enough and one voice was I remember it just whispering calmly, you know, just do nothing, go to sleep. It will be a painless death. There's no feeling. You won't feel it at all. Who's and like your voice or just, just, a, just an, an inner voice? voice yeah, yeah, just an inner inner voice because my head was scrambled. And then the other voice, the voice that made made me sit up, was screaming, like "Get up, get out of here now, or you're gonna die." And it was that voice that was louder. It was almost like you can internalize that with negative and positive thoughts and how you should always listen to the positive because the negative's never going to do you any good. But in that case, that was very real. And it was the positive that sat me up. I drunk water. I told my guide, I need local transport now. And when I say this, it was all very slow, weak, like painful movements. We got transport. I arrived in into the hotel because I was effectively quarantined because they didn't know what kind of disease I had. <clears throat> they took my blood and they came back and said, you've got false reporting. And if you were only three hours later, bearing in mind I was trekking and had the disease in my system for five days and it usually kills you within 24 hours. If you were three hours longer, you would have potentially slipped into a coma wow. and therefore died. And that was when I was like, whoa. So that, it only dawned on me there and then like, holy shit, I was actually dying. I could have died a few hours later or traffic in the road you know whatever it might be because it was a good six hour drive to the hotel punctured tire that's all it could have t- took to, to finish me off whereas in the Gobi I knew I was dying and there was, there was no way around that I missed the point of pickup I was thinking about my friends I was thinking about how did about you get out family. of that I uh, I walked there was no other option other than to walk my way out of it and so because the point of pickup uh, if I pressed the evacuation or it wasn't evacuation because I had invalid insurance and I couldn't afford no helicopter pickup like the previous. It was text only on an inReach Explorer to my guide and it would take him at least three to four days to get to me if he found me on time. Wow. And that's a big question mark. And then another two days for him to get me to safety. And I honestly at that point didn't believe I could survive six days. So what kept you walking? I think it was a couple of things. I remember... <sighs> one point feeling sorry for myself hiding under my trailer for an hour at a time you know it was 40 degrees celsius it was a a 120 kilogram trailer that was pulling through soft sand which meant the wheels were digging into the into the sand making it feel like 500 kilograms there was no breeze no natural shelter my organs were almost drying up and i had these sort of the last remaining dribbles of water at this point when the well was dry Wow. Well, that was meant to be my my pickup point for extra water. And that's when I realized I'm fucked. Hadn't seen anyone at that point for five days, not a single human. Realized that at that point, I've missed the point of backup. I was delirious, hallucinating again in a bad way, just dark. I remember self-filming, filming my 
my time and I've never shared those clips with any. And I think there were some clips that I deleted because I just didn't want anyone to see what I was saying. And we we were you scared or were you so were you kind of so fucked that because I'm I'm trying I'm trying to think of some yeah. say some other some parallels to the rest of the world here and, and, and business and I guess in those circumstances you're probably so fucked as well that you kind of can't can't think you know kind of can't think anything anyway. With malaria, I was. I remember with malaria at the point that I got into the hotel, I collapsed on the bed and everyone was just spinning. I saw two doctors above me, their heads were spinning. At that point, I didn't really feel much pain. So I didn't really know, you know, how close I was to potential death. But the Gobi Desert, oh man, I felt every every inch that I walked and I, I was super wet. Whilst my head was still scrambled, I could just feel all the pain. But yeah, fuck, it was, it was pretty brutal out in the desert. But then there's a time where I was held up at gunpoint and that was a different scenario. That was me overthinking like, he could just shoot me and kill me right now. And that's different to being in the Gobi Desert. It's different to facing hypothermia as well. <laughs> which I have faced hypothermia and that is more numbing. That is where I had to keep my body alive. I was shaking it and I w that was a fight where I realized I cannot sleep. I could feel my body about to faint and I had to shake my body. I had to stay awake. I almost had to fight, uh, I fight this, this fainting feeling. And so I think in the face of death, I think there's that internal survival instinct that everyone has and will fight. They just don't realize it until they face it. Um, and I think maybe that is the equivalent potentially that you can put towards business, right? When you can see it really going into the shitter, you can think and plan all you like about my, my, what might happen or how you might react. But it's only when you're days away from the business going bang or, you know, you'll know more how to explain it that then you know what you're sort of made out of and you pull different contacts. And I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to think of things as well while, while you're talking. I think it's, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because, I mean, I always give the give give the death and, and, and bankruptcy and analogies and, and parallels. Yeah. But then I also think when you're going to die as a human, mm. we We'll immediately lose all our ego, won't we? All our pride. We'll we'll we'll, we'll we'll do anything. You know, yeah. we'll ask for any help. We'll give anything away. We'll cry, scream, beg, yeah. beg, kill, steal, whatever we need to do. Yeah. But I do feel in the business world that that bankruptcy death could be avoided so many more times if people would apply the same logic that they would if they were going to die as a person mm. and put the pride to one side, put their ego to one side, so and treat it with more severity. And and, and and ask well, not even so much the severity because they probably know the severity, but it's like you know still not wanting to, wanting to ask for help mm. or still think you know thinking that they know best in a particular situation. Like right. I, I don't know, like if you're if you're underwater scuba diving and, and you're and you're a novice scuba diver and mm. your tank's fucking up or you're hyperventilating or something, you know, you you would think it's completely normal to ask the scuba instructor, you know, like, what do I do? How, yeah. you know, calm me down, help me, you know, keep, yeah. keep me alive. I mean, I mean, it's the only thought that's going to be in your head, isn't it? Uh -huh. But, you know, when, when you've got going back to that thing I was saying earlier about how there's almost like no no levels for business you know no yeah. no, no scoreboard if you like that when someone's got a life and death business problem it's just like oh, I don't need to ask you I'm, I'm not asking you I, I'm, I'm a businessman I'm a business owner I, I know what I'm talking about and, yeah, and, and I, I can find my way through this yeah yeah interesting it is interesting isn't it because say if you've got a family and you do face bankruptcy it depends on if people have a backup and have those funds whereby they can start up another business because you do hear that i think i heard it from yourself as well that you could take everything away from you now finance wise but you will be able to find a way because no one can take your brain away right no one can take the knowledge of how you can make money make yes. more money for you and so 
with businessmen, do they let it get to that point of bankruptcy because they believe they can just do it again? And whereas with me facing a near death, once I'm dead, I'm dead. There's no second chance. I mean, I think I probably would think no. I mean, I totally agree with what you're saying there because obviously it's something I've said myself. And I think mm. in, in, in business, you know, normally people, I guess, like life and death. Normally people only ever hit that stage once, you know, once if ever in their life. So, I mean, I guess right. it's not like, oh, I've been bankrupt, therefore... I know, I know that I'm um, that I can make my money back, so 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 I'm not scared about it. I mean, look, I can say that because I I have been bankrupt. Yeah. But I guess if I hadn't been bankrupt, I'd probably be thinking I would I would ra- rather not you know rather not go bankrupt. And I guess you know the same would apply to you in in that why are you not scared to go on? You know, like I'll say, well, I'm not scared in business, or I'm not scared if I get a, a batch of a hundred documents from someone suing me, or you know, I'm not scared about any of this stuff because mm. because I know I've been there before. I've experienced it before i know the right people to help me i know what the process is therefore i know every step of you know step of potential future outcomes yeah. and if the worst 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 happens i know that i can wake up and wake up tomorrow with you know with with no money and okay i'm not saying i want to be i would obviously rather wake up in my house with my car or whatever yeah. it is but if i had to wake up tomorrow i know i've got the skill sets and the network to be able to go and make money again and start getting start getting paid right. again so that's why i've got no fear in any of those situations oh, yeah. and, I, and i would assume it's the same for you in your situations that you know you're not scared to climb Everest or you mm-hmm. walk you're Yangtze or whatever it may be because because you know that extreme he- extreme heats like this yeah. extreme colds like that if someone attacks me I can fight or you know w- w- yeah. w- whatever whatever it's the, just the steps of the journey isn't it? and building up those track habits I think and that's often why people say so in Mongolia you've almost died why would you even contemplate Madagascar it's like well because I didn't die and I managed to get myself out of that scenario I survived it therefore I'm able to go again because I know that I will never be dehydrated again yes a different challenge might come just as business isn't always never the same same challenge it's different challenges and then with Madagascar it was malaria but I knew why and how I think it's more the unknown that scares me the most it's like with Mongolia I knew that a well could be dry I knew that I had confirmed and confirmed water sources mapped on the map yes that was my fuck up but I won't fuck up like that again and it's the same with malaria. Yes, I was taking anti-malaria medication to prevent malaria, which covers you only 80%, but I ate a dodgy eel, which gave me diarrhea. The pill went in one way, out the other, malaria got a hold of me, but I was still fighting it with the um, anti-malaria, slightly hence why I survived five days and not one day. And so next time, eat proper food, drink lots of water, don't eat a dodgy eel, and that I wouldn't have contracted. So it's through different experiences and track habits that you build up, you become more, you have a greater understanding of your capabilities, right? And know how to experience different things. And that's why I'm able to then go off again and do another bigger, bigger, better, more ambitious sort of expedition time and time again. It's because I'm always learning and I'm never trying to make the same mistake twice. So when when you and I first met in, uh, it was in October, it was October 2020, that's what, yeah. What for the podcast? Yes, that's where we first marked October 2020. It was the summer. I think it was actually July 2020. No, I'll tell you why it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Because about ten days after you and I met, I climbed Kilimanjaro. Got you. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Uh, which I did. Um, I remember that. So it may have been the very end of September, but yeah. I, 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 I climbed Kili in October. So, but, so you and I met very end of that very very beginning. Yeah. 
and um, <laughs> so, so I guess not, not, not that I can talk with any, with any experience like you, but having done something now, uh, I can I can relate to some of the bits you're saying. But I, I made a note of a few things that you said this morning, yeah. um, which all I think you know time for anyone wanting to do something. You said about the the importance between mental and physical, and that that seventy percent of anyone trying to achieve something is mindset you know the, the other 30 percent is physical you said that you know we're far more capable than we give ourselves credit for so we've all got the ability to shoot high uh, but most people just don't and you know those who talk about it but never do it and people fail at the first step yeah. so you know, a, few, a few different but but related things and it all kind of resonated very much with me with the Kiliman with the Kilimanjaro trip where you know, looking back at it now, listen, it, it, I would say it was, it was very tough, and I'm sure you yeah. know. I'm sure you wouldn't, anyone wouldn't find out walking the park, no, mm-hmm. no matter how, how fit you are. Yeah. But I look back at that as an experience, and very much say that anyone who's got two arms and two legs that, you know, that, that work well, you know, as long as you've got no health issues, I fail to believe that anyone with the right mindset can't can't get up there right yet yet as a challenge it's something that 0.001 percent of the world of world have done yeah. and, and 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 it's looked at as something you know super difficult you know super 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 high, that high only achievement the elite can do exactly yeah. and it just really resonated with me as as to as to the, you know the, the importance of that mindset i mean i know when you know when i did it you know i i agreed in a drunken dinner in july when a friend when <laughs> jp said he was climbing it and i said oh yeah sod it I'll come along with you yeah. and do it. You know, I then got caught COVID, so I was bedridden for a few weeks. So I, I never got to train. Lost your training, yeah. I, I bought some boots that didn't fit. So, so you know, I mean, li- literally by by the time I'd got to the uh, I got to base camp to, to actually start to do it, I think I'd climbed two of the three Yorkshire peaks. And the only reason I hadn't done the third one is because on the second one I, I bloody bust my ankle, so 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 I couldn't carry on. So it was oh, hardly shit. a great training experience. Yeah. But I, t- I, t- I tell all of that not to say it in a story that oh Matt's so great he can w- climb a mountain without doing any training I say that if I can climb a mountain without doing any training then anybody else in in physical you know in in um, yep. safe physical condition if can, they can do the same too the right and, mindset and it was it really resonated with me how much yeah. it is just such a such a mindset thing yeah I think a lot of people are way more capable than they give themselves credit for, right? And they write themselves off too soon. You know, what motivates me as well is seeing seeing other people do these crazy challenges like Mike Horn in his 50s. He's like jacked. He's ripped. Six-pack circumnavigated the planet via both poles, unmotorized, you know, walking through the fucking the North Pole in the winter permanent darkness had a polar bear sit on him as he had to cover his own mouth and nose as it was rummaging through his sledge so he had to be super silent Sir Arnold Fiennes in his early 70s I think it was who ran the marathon de Sables. it's like a marathon in the desert over 50 degrees Celsius so I look at that sort of shit and I'm like well myself I'm youthful I train hard I've got a good mindset of course I can do this or I can do that or I like to think that I can and then I go out and try it because there's always people out there doing fucking crazy things and I take inspiration from these people and not only that I take inspiration from so many people going against the odds and achieving time and time again I take inspiration from yourself as well you know I follow your your stories I follow your social media and it's almost like different people who have faced difficult times whether that's bankruptcy or whether that's hurdles or even physical challenges like you hear people summiting Everest with one leg you know all of this crazy stuff and I think it's people 
going against the odds, picking themselves up and doing it anyway, or getting them or picking themselves up when they're at their at their absolute rock bottom. It's just fucking inspiring. And that I think is what also feeds my mindset. I don't just sort of try to motivate myself. I seek inspiration from many people from all sort of different walks of life and different business, different categories, because there's people doing fucking bonkers shit all the time, every day. And I think as well, that's what why it's so important to surround yourself by the right people as yeah. well because you say we don't give ourselves enough credit for what we're capable mm -hmm. of I'd actually probably go further than that and say we probably once did give ourselves credit for it we just allow the negative people around us to talk us out of it and, yeah. and, and tell us it can't be done and in the same way that you know being, being surrounded by four or five positive people or four or five people you know with a six pack is going to get you a six pack or mm. four or five people who can scale a mountain will probably get you somewhere to scaling a mountain yeah. being surrounded by all the negative people that say I can't do it you can't do it you know yeah. la laughing you down talking you down is ultimately you know what ch you know chips away and makes you think it's you know, inverted commas normal you mm -hmm. know what what's normal well, what everybody else has already told us yeah and I think we we got to cut those people out i i cut um my old friends out of my life in terms of hanging around with them often because you know later high school and in college it was that mindset it was that mindset of you know go to college go to university do a nine to five you know pay bills struggling to get by but that's life we accept it you know stuck in the matrix type of mentality um, and any any time i would put out a, a great idea or a, a very different suggestion it would get shut down and you'd get laughed at and i was thinking geez my ideas and sort of vision is so wasted on these people and i had to cut them out have you ever had to have that conversation have you ever had the conversation I mean, did you just cut them out or, or have you actually ever <clears throat> had that conversation with someone to say you know we're going in different directions you know you're holding me back yeah i didn't say you're holding me back but i do remember one of the final days that i hung around with them as a as a whole uh, i found we were doing the same thing we would go to college then we would go to to my friend's house and we would just linger in his attic room drinking beer talking rubbish boxing gloves fighting you know all of that sort of stuff and we were doing that almost every other day because we didn't have anything better to do we were in wales and we weren't that adventurous as a group surprisingly we were more into our sports and every time i would say let's go to great castle let's summit everest uh, not ever snowed in or something like that it would just be shut down and it got to one point where it got so much I said look listen I can't I can't do this anymore I'm not doing this whereby I come round I hang with you we talk about the same shit all day every day who's kissed who who had the latest fight all of this garbage I need to do my own thing I have some good visions I need to tackle them and I remember that was one of the last days and you know after that I think it was the next day I started up boxing I put my car on for sale. I had this plan to travel and was now tackling different ways where I could make money. I was lifeguarding, I was waiting on and I was working at a fish and chip shop in Wales. And it was the one of the single best things I, I ever did. And this perfect example, I just cut them out. Uh, there were, there's still a few that I meet up with and I talk to who are still friends, but I'll meet them one-to-one -one rather than like the group. Yeah. And I think that was the, yeah, the best thing I did because then I really tackled and I I probably moved things forward. What would have usually took me five years with them, 
say if I stayed on track and wasn't sort of um, demotivated from hanging with them, what would have taken five years hanging with them, I did in like a year and a half. Have you seen any of them take inspiration from you and kind of you know better better their lives in any way? Um, I think so. Yeah, I think I have. Not directly. They've not said it directly, but they will write and comment every now and then, and they will be nice about it. You know, I'm proud of you. And out of the group we hung hung with, you know, it was always you that was going to go on to do big things. So they've said nice things, and I guess they're at that part of their life where they do look back and they do reflect and hopefully they don't have any regrets because you know each to their own but i think maybe they do look and think yeah he needed to understand why he needed to get out and and do his thing because he needed to go there to get where he is now and we were probably holding him back tell me the first journey or some of the journeys you did you did you did with a partner yes um, and then I think ultimately he decided that uh, the Yangtze one was a step too far. The Mongolia. Is it Mongolia? Yeah. Is a step too far and you, you kind of separated. Talk, talk to me about that partnership. And obviously it's a, a leading question again, sl- you know, slinging it back to a, a business business type analogy because yeah. I guess, you know, for me in, in business, you can, either, you can either have the, the right partner where one plus one equals three yeah. or, you know, you, you've, you've got you've got the wrong partner where it's taking you backwards or almost as bad as taking you backwards. You know, you're just, you're almost like Siamese twins who <laughs> neither of you bring anything different to the equation. You know, you just both end up you know, splitting, I guess, s- splitting the pie. Yeah. Um, I mean, what 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 was what was your partnership like? Yeah, it was a uh, it was a good it was a great partnership towards the beginning where we were doing these adventures and travels for the pure love and passion of it. Because this guy, I would throw an idea out. It's, it, it was Matt Norman. I'd throw like a great idea his way. Let's cycle Vietnam on ten pound bicycles, for example. And if I was most of my other friends, they would have said no to that. Whereas he was like, oh, okay, I like the sound of that. He would go with it. He was a friend from 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 Lifeguard, and he was also my next door neighbour. Yeah, and so we saved the money. We worked hard together. We raised the cash that we needed to then leave at the age of nineteen. And any sort of idea, because the ideas were always sort of springboarded off off of me, because I would have this sort of vision whereby I wanted to get off the tourist route and visit the locals and learn about the culture, the traditions and, and about myself and do these adventures. And each adventure that I suggested, he was he was up for it. And I also suggested, how about we do our scuba diving qualifications and work and live in Thailand? And he also agreed and he did that too. And he was living in Thailand. And then he could see that I was niggled for a good year, whereby I was talking about more adventures to him. And at this point, he was quite happy, quite content. You know, he was living in Thailand. He was learning the Thai language. He found a second home and I could see that he wasn't as enthusiastic as me anymore for these later adventures and then I I came up with this took a while but I came up with this idea about Mongolia and I started to do my research I ran it by Matt and Matt at first was like yeah that sounds good I don't think he thought that I would actually do it he probably thought this is another one of Ash's crazy ideas but the more I looked into it the more excited I became and when I realized it would be a recorded world first I then started to talk to him about the business side of that saying look man if we are the first recorded people ever to do mongolia we'll be down in the history books you know we'll be fucking publishing books we'll be in the newspapers magazines will turn into a career you know my enthusiastic sort of 21 year old uh, as i was at the time when i was planning and i think he was just like oh yeah 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 that would be that would be cool and i had this sort of blueprint of potentially how we could make this big and then one night i remember a stormy night in the hostel because we're staying like in an 18 bed dormitory that's all we could afford even though we were instructors i remember saying 
it's going to be fucking dangerous though, man. And I was telling her about the wolves. And I was like, imagine being in your tent, it's thundering outside and you hear a pack of wolves like howling, surrounding your tent. You're there with a fucking knife and a torch, like shit scared, sweating. It's cold, minus 20. And that next day, he just never mentioned anything of it every time i would suggest you know are we ready to move on to next steps he would just be like mm. and then i could i i realized then i had scared him mentally to the point that he didn't want to do it but then i later learned that that's the best thing you could possibly do and then people who would want to join me on future adventures i wouldn't tell them the best things about it i yeah. wouldn't tell them the highlights i would force <laughs> them to visualize the darkest, most terrifying, shittest times that will happen when they're with me. And if they were put off, amazing. Because when you joined me, you would have bailed or been evacuated or would have died. Whereas if they weren't put off and they still had this enthusiasm, I know that, wow, okay, amazing. They, they're they going to be great. It's, it's funny you say that because it's, it's making me think now as well about, um, about hiring people in, in right. business. You're always taught to sell the company and sell the, sell, sell the benefits of the company and tell them all the good things to, right. you to, to, to make them want to come work for you. And, you know, I, it was actually JP who was doing a talk for, mm. for, my, for my team back in December. Okay. We were talking about values and it was a, it was a big, uh, it's kind of a big turning point for me where, where I realised, you know, the, problem, the reason I've got a problem with so many, it's so many situations, so many members of staff is because I've never actually laid out my values to them right. and almost just expect them to know what they are by you know by by, by seeing me. Yeah. So what we then did is I went away over Christmas and I wrote what is my kind of values and pillar document of you know th th these are 14 or 15 of them on there. You know these are my values, these are my expectations, you know yeah. about about how how I behave and therefore how we behave as a business and therefore that's how I want you to behave. Because if I've never if I've never told you that from the outset, how can I how can I then blame you and bollock bollo you right. forward afterwards? But you know now we we're very clear about it from the beginning. Yeah. So if you know, if I say I don't know you're expected to to be proactive or entrepreneurial or you know you we love to work at 11 o'clock at night on a Sunday well yeah. if, if I've never told you that before then how, how can I expect you but exactly. now I have told you so if you come and you don't do it then I've got every every right to bollock mm -hmm. you and uh, I guess it's 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 just the same with that really it if, is. if you only tell everyone the good the good stuff then yeah. uh yeah, for sure. And I think it goes one step further to say that when a UK photographer came out, he flew out from the UK to China to join me for three weeks on the Yangtze hike. We were met by a landslide and I said to him, look, this is a, a pretty dangerous landslide. There's no way around it. The mountain range is too big. We could detour, but it, I would add three days and I've already got a year along. I don't want to add any days if I can help it. And I gave him two different options of how we can cross that. And I said, get rid of all your ego, get rid of your pride. You know, there's no ego out here. It's life or death. It's not a case of winning or losing. I want you to scout those two locations. I'm going to leave you to it. I'm going to like go off for 10 minutes and leave you with your own thoughts. And I need you to come and tell me whether you feel you're capable and confident enough to be able to tackle one of the two and I was like and don't lie to me because when we are halfway over the landslide if I then see on your face which I will that you can't continue there's no turning back I'll be yeah. leaving you with the wolves <laughs> yeah as in like he literally it was so bad the landslide that he almost couldn't turn and do a 180 and go back that's how sketchy this was and I left him for 10 minutes and whatever decision he makes is the right decision I would go because I don't know his capabilities. I know he came back and he said, um, no, the risks are too big. And that was day one, six hours into day one when he was supposed to join me for three weeks and he made the right choice. I was like, yeah, let's let's go back and uh, send you on your way back to the UK. And we did because it's at that point where you've really got to lay it out for them and they can only tell you from that point whether they can 
do what you've you know set for them or whether they can't and he had a wife and a kid back at home as well so the risks were just simply too big and i i kind of left it on him which was good because i don't know anyone else's capabilities sure. that joined me and i think 10 of the 16 people that joined me were evacuated wow. and i got to a point where i just put a stop on the expedition no one could join me because i often forget and you'll know from business i was kind of I didn't give myself credit for what I had achieved and experienced. Therefore, I would just let people join. Like, yeah, yeah, of course. It's only like sort of hiking, but it's survival. You know, watch out for the wolves and bears. And, and straight away, that's enough to freak people out. Well, they don't know how to, <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's like me trying to join them as a photographer and like trying to keep up as a pro photographer. Yeah. It's like, I don't know what I'm doing. Whereas they were they were in my industry then and they were kind of like, fuck this. <laughs> Tell me, where, where's, where's Matty now? Uh, your old neighbor, Matty. Matt is living in... South Wales. So I believe now he is, he's gone through a number of different jobs recently, but I believe now he is helping to maintain and make products for yachts. You still friends? Yachts. Still friends. Yeah, he's married now. He met his girlfriend in Hong Kong on the app Bumble, which he okay. recommended to me. <laughs> and he's now married, living in living in Wales, but he was a yacht master. He was sort of, he's got some mad stories himself. He was sort of traveling Southeast Asia. He had to fight off pirates, Filipino pirates. He saw volcanoes like erupting. Yeah. Does he does he have any regrets? Does, it, does, does he does he feel that he should have continued on the journey with you, with you? Is he happy watching you? And I don't know. I think at this point, now that he's married and settled, I reckon the regrets have gone, if he had any. But there were times where, you know, it really sort of blew up for me. And he was mentioned in obviously all of my podcasts. I, I credit him for being a part of the early journeys from the age of 19 to to 21, 22. And I think maybe there was always that underlying question of what if I continued with Ash? But then he didn't have, the, he's not entrepreneurial thinking. So he's not the type that would pull up his Insta and stop posting and talk to the camera. It's quite timid and shy or reserved, shall I say, but he can push himself physically. But uh, you need both, you know, you need to be able to push yourself, but you also need to, you know, look at the marketing aspect, look at the finance and sponsorship and what can you give to those who sponsor you? Well, you, you, you've got you've got the perfect habit of, of of always leading me leading me into the question. There we go. Question, <laughs> question that I was about to ask. So yeah. let, let, let's talk about that. Let's talk about Ash, the entrepreneur. So I want to talk about uh, you know planning, funding, marketing, costing, sponsors, etc. Yeah. And I know before we came on camera, you know, very kindly said you'd you'd talk about some exact numbers and things as well. Yeah. I think you know one thing I was thinking about earlier uh, when we were talking about um, world records and that you were thinking these world records would translate into money mm -hmm. and then realise it didn't. And I think, you know, that's, it's probably a mistake that, that so many people make about so many skill sets. You know, and I, I've, I've got friends, for example, who've been Olympic gymnasts or, you know, Olympic swimmers and, and these kind of things. And as a layperson, you know, you think that is such a, a high level skill mm. that set them up for life, that it's totally monetizable, etc. And the answer is invariably that it isn't. And if these people have ever gone on to go and make some money using that skill set, it's in a completely different area. Like, for example, I had a mate of mine who who took the, uh, I'm going to say, took the bronze in, in um, gymnastics in the Barcelona Olympics. Wow, okay. I mean, he's been, so we're talking 96 or something, aren't we? Okay. Or, it, mm. or 92, whatever it was. So he's a bit older than me. Came back from the Olympics, had you know, was basically flat broke, had no idea what to even, never mind how he's going to earn money, no idea what to do with his life anymore because yeah. he spent his entire life training towards that and then got a phone call from a friend who was over, I think, in Holland at the time saying, you need to come to Holland. There's some guy who's made something up called Cirque du Soleil and, uh, and, and, and he needs people to, uh, he needs gymnasts to perform, which mm. is obviously 
25, 30 years later has become the Cirque du Soleil that, you know, um, we, we, we all know around yeah. the world. And he, he went on to earn himself a nice nice six-figure income for, you nice. know, for, for the next 30 years yeah. uh, as a translatable skill set from that. But yep. the fact that he was a gymnast who took gold, in uh, so took took bronze in the in the um, Olympics meant fuck all when, yeah, when, when, when it comes to, to making crazy. money. So I guess you've you've had to port from one side to the other. You know, you, you've, you've learned that just doing the adventures themselves are not enough. It doesn't get you paid. It might scratch your itches, but but now you need to make a career out of this. So yeah, let's let's talk. Yeah, man. Yeah. So pretty much, you know, I was scuba diver. I then focused on Mongolia. And you're right. I kind of thought, wow, one single world record, a world first. You know, Edmund Hillary, first up Everest. Everyone knows his name. I thought if I complete that, boom, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be made. But what I didn't account for was I didn't have money for a PR. I didn't have money for agency. I didn't have money to try to market what I was doing. It was all just through social media, but I was going to do it anyway. I was going to do the trip anyway, just for my own, you know, for the experience, for the love, for the passion. It was only when I figured it was a first, I thought it's a no brainer. There's a way to monetize because there's very few firsts left. Yes, you can have marathon across a country or yes, you can have fastest person, but a first is so hard to find. And so that's where I started then thinking about press about marketing about after that maybe i can do some ted talks maybe i can publish a book maybe a tv would like to take the show if i manage to self-film it maybe i can turn myself somewhat into a brand where that is monetizable and i can start working with different brands who share the same ethos of carving your own past and being first to do something and so already from that age i was 21 thinking about all of this i knew i was onto something and I did it. I almost died. I completed it. I think we reached about 250 million, which at the time seemed a lot in terms of global reach, uh, BBC World News, you name it. And then I came back and then it very quickly went quiet again. Very quickly went quiet. I, at that point, I was 100, 200 pounds in my account. I was living with my parents. Still at that point, I couldn't uh, fund my, uh, couldn't get gym membership. So I was training in my back garden and I realized, fucking hell, this is, this is difficult. This hasn't brought anything in and I don't want to be lifeguarding. I don't want to be a waiter again in Wales, but then I don't want to go back and earn two, 300 pound a month as a scuba diver. So I was stuck in limbo land. And then I realized it, it took, took a bit of work, but I, I found another first and that was Madagascar. But it was only when I did, so I did it a UK theatre tour after Mongolia. Sorry, I forgot about that. Okay. And that was, um, that brought me in about, being honest, about four to five K. And that's pretty much all as I earned for that whole year. Were you the, so how many uh, theatre did you do? Were you the only speaker? Yeah, I was hosting my own theatre. There was 13 different theatres across the UK. It was 90 minutes. Just um, an evening with Ash? Similar style, yeah. It was called Breaking Mongolia with Ash Dykes. But it, yeah, it was 90 minutes like that. That was my only income for the year. How did you, and how did you promote that? How did you, how, how did you sell it? And, and I guess that, yeah, because I'm I'm trying to put this in context for you know, people watching or listening to yeah. you know, make some analogies for the things that they do. And again, also when you talk that into real money, if you did 13 things at four or five grand, you were probably getting 200, 250 quid a, th quid a throw or something. About so. that. Yeah, about that. And I'm sure I had to cover my own petrol, rent out a car because I couldn't afford a car. So I'd rented out a car, did a partnership with a local dealer, <laughs> whereby they, they would do it cheaper. So I managed to get around with that 13, I think it was 13 venues, took about a whole month of my time. Couldn't go anywhere, had to be based there. And that, it was it was when I was doing that tour, I spoke to the speaking agency because it was the agency speakers from the edge that organized that. And he said, that is by far the cheapest world first record that he's ever heard of. It cost, it was five grand for a world first. 
Whereas if you take away insurance, logistical help and flights, you've got two grand to get across the country, you know? And so it was one of the cheapest. And then after that, I was kind of like, fucking hell, I need to do something else. And so it was Madagascar. Madagascar was a struggle to raise funds for that. It was raise funds that would like go and work for the funds myself. And, and how how did you raise funds? So I mean, let's let's tr try and try and break it down into a few stages for people. I mean, so you, yeah. you, you realize you need to raise funds. You then decide you're going to ask for sponsorships, yeah. presumably. Do, yeah. do you then break the sponsorships into headline, main, sub main? Yeah. Then do you then go out and out and think, right, who is a good sponsor for this? Yeah. I will just I will out outbound outreach to these people. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. You'll get a list of brands that would associate well with you that share a similar ethos. You would give them different levels of entry, different options that they can sponsor. And the main thing is, once you've spoke about yourself and your world first record and your attempt to, to be a second world first record holder, you break down why it would be good for them, what they can get in return. And then you would pretty much find the right emails and you just send and you send and you send hundreds, a thousand rejections, rejections, rejections. And I didn't get one brand. I've got certain brands offering kit that was easy plenty of kit coming my way but that doesn't you know that doesn't yeah. give it go ahead and it was actually my local council Conway council that jumped on board oh really yeah and gave enough funds to get it over the did line did you get outreach to them or did they just happen to hear about it and come to you i reached out to them yeah so i was literally covering all angles right now i was literally had to get my marketing hat on if you like and be like how can i what can i benefit here who would benefit from it and like so many have turned me down and at that point i had what, a thousand followers on instagram no one was really seeing these these adventures and the brands were just like, well, fucking hell, he's going to reach like 100 people. And so I could talk about world news and BBC all I want. But again, that wasn't guaranteed because not even any PR firms that I didn't work with. But if I worked with them, can't guarantee stuff like that. So it was very, very fucking hard. And then we went again with the Yangtze and the Yangtze was going to be different. And this was a funny one. And this is where I believe you should just take risks like this is with the Yangtze, I was struggling to get that off the ground. This was a whole bigger thing. This was a big production. This was different teams. This was governments involved. I needed the right permits, the right visas, because I was going into sensitive sort of national parks for the Yangtze River in China. And I remember many different teams from around the world were just slack. They just weren't working. And then I was like, what can I do to kick them up the ass? And I remember I, I created a press release I put press release together there's a bit more budget behind this now various different sponsors were coming on board and I went to Canary Wharf the pagination and I launched a press release and I attached all of these different brands names all of these uh, the production company that said they would help the fixers that said they'd be a part of it I put their brand their company their name in that press release and uh, press release and now it was in BBC World News it was on BBC it was on Channel 5 News so they saw that I was serious and they couldn't put it off so yeah we'll give you a hand next year that kicked them up their ass and they started fucking working thinking our name is out there saying we're going to help Ash with this trip We've, we're forced our hand is forced to help him you know um, love it and that was a big my my family my friends were well against that and I was like yes it's a risk and it's a risk on, on my name as well lying effectively but I thought if it pulls off it could really benefit and it might be the only way to get Mission Yangtze, the green light. And through that, I was then able to contact more brands. But now I had done a pre, because I could afford it. Yeah. I had got a PR firm on board and done a pre sort of press release before the trip. They could see that the BBC 
were covering it, that the Times were covering, the Telegraph. So it's like, this is before and I've not even started yet. So that's when people start to come on board more then. And that was a lot easier. And then after the Yangtze, cutting a long story short, it was like on the couch on the one show. It was Good Morning Britain. It was the Joe Rogan podcast. It was then pulled in by Dwayne Johnson's agent, meeting with the president and vice president of Discovery Maggio. But that took eight years up to that point. And and have you have you got have you got a team that work with you now or, or have you, you do you have like an agent and a manager and like do you, do you have like different outsourced people that you go to different outsourced people yeah so I've got my distribution company in Singapore they they're American team but based in Singapore and they cover the world in terms of channels I've got my production team uh, Zigzag Productions here in London and then I've actually got a team CICC in China and they've recently sold the latest show to Tencent which is the biggest platform. In China, it's kind of like a Netflix of China. And then, in terms of agency, we've got agencies lined up, and they can only make a decision based on where my latest TV show goes in the UK. And then we've even got between us. Well, it's not between us anymore, but we've got <laughs> Penguins, you know, the book publishing company. Yep. They want to secure a deal, but again, they're waiting on which channel takes the show in the UK. And then I, I guess this one, whilst it's already in a great place now, depending on what UK-based channel takes the show, it will just take it to that next level again awesome which will finally be the the make after a decade and it's that it's that overnight success um of uh, 10 years in the making exactly yeah i think people will see it and be like i oh, you know lucky here but i honestly up to now i've faced thousands it has to be over 2000 rejections has to be from different brands uh, sponsors magazines radio tv logistics productions it it must all gather up to over thousands i've faced heartbreak i've faced you know it's been it's it's been very tough it's been a struggle and i've lived with my parents a lot of the time because i've simply had no fucking money but i finally broke through last year it took a fucking while but it's that dogmatic pursuit of a yeah. of, of, of vision of you know of, yeah. of niche of being in a niche that you mm. that, that you love where okay you you want the success you want the payoff but you've also loved every step of the yeah. way along, along yeah the I don't regret any of it I've learned a lot it's been it's been great fun and it is now nice to be on this side whereby I could talk about it because the last time we did the podcast you wouldn't catch me saying this stuff I was in the middle of it still you know whereas now I'm in a much better place I'm excited the future is bright. And um, I, at least now I, I've got it in me and I know that I just keep fighting and fighting and fighting. So it's cool. great. Well, listen, I've got one more question for you before we go because yes. uh, I'm conscious, conscious we've got to wrap up. I guess we, we've, we've, we've gone gone the ups and downs and, and, and ended in the happy place. So I, I guess another happy place question to, to, to ask you yes. is uh, you've got a girlfriend. Yeah, we see see you guys on, on on Instagram a bit more now, and you yeah. know, I know you you're always you know, post about happy happy to get back to her, and you obviously you spend a lot of time apart when you when you're on your journeys. Yes, talk to me about the importance of the right partners and relationship partner for success. And again, it's, it's a question question I I always ask people. I talk to. A, talk about it from a business perspective you know i've got mates who are professional fighters you know, mm. professional sportsmen you talk with them and i guess you you've got a very unique career where where that right support is absolutely essential to yeah. you know to, to keeping your mindset right to, you know, to, to being in the headspace and i always say you know that for any success you either have to have the right partner 
or no partner. Yeah. You know, I mean, yes. and there's absolutely nothing wrong with being single. No. But you, but you can, and, and it will be better to be single in the pursuit of success if you haven't got a partner where one plus one equals more than more more than two. Yeah. And I can imagine. I mean, I mean, there's so many extra things that come into play with you. The fact that you know, only you apart for so long, you're probably apart. You're not even able to communicate. I, 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 I would I would imagine. Yeah, sometimes. I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, just to watch you plan journeys that she knows are going to keep you away from her for six months mm. that could kill you and all, all this thing. Just tell me a bit about home life and. And, and yeah. turn that into some advice for people listening to this. Yeah, no, you are absolutely bang on. I think, I think it's better to be single rather than have the wrong partner because that's just going to stop everything. And I was single up until I was 29, fully single, no relationships. I was traveling, doing this, doing that. Uh, and I said to myself, it is only when I meet the right person that I will then look at, at settling. And luckily, Shabs, my girlfriend, shared the same ethos. She's very driven, very ambitious. She's She likes to be alone. She likes her own independence. And as soon as we just we came together we just really connected since where well, it's been two and a half years over two and a half years she has just supported me fully which makes i don't even have to think about the stress and worry of when i'm away what's she gonna do because she's a grinder she's a grafter she'll crack on um yes we miss each other a lot and we are solidly close and i especially on this four and a half month journey that i was away filming the great war show that was that was hard but we would video call when when we could when i was in the signal area and she would always just be solidly in support and talking about you know it's only two months left and then you'll be back here and you would have achieved the biggest steps so far of your adventuring career and that was so important to hear because it could have quite easily been the flip side where she could have been resentful and in right reasons as well she could have found ways to say that this isn't fair and what you're doing isn't fair and i can't live with this but right from the get-go from very few first time times dating we were open and books with each other and I think you have to be because you've got to be in full support of one another and it's just like me with her now as she's getting started in, in her career I'm in full support and she's got to do what she's got to do to get ahead and if that means she's working till 11 p.m or whatever it is you do that because uh, you have your path I have my path we have a shared path but we must equally support each other yeah I don't think it, it would have been very hard and a different story going to China this time around if I didn't have that support of partner awesome Listen, buddy, it's been a pleasure. It's been great. I tell you, if we if we carry on this any longer, I'm, I'm going to drink more Diet Coke and abs <laughs> absolutely explode. So, oh. so we, we better call time. But no, honestly, listen, it's been it's been great to chat again. And it's, it's funny because obviously, you know, be, being friends, we get to have some of these conversations anyway. But yep. but it's never it's never the same as I guess sitting down in the kind of formal environment right. to to actually uh, actually dig deep on, yeah. on on some of the stuff. But you know, listen, it's been a, a kind of a pleasure and an honour for me to kind of watch your journey uh, sure. uh, over the last over the last two or three years. Yeah, man. And I'm looking forward to seeing much more of the next two or three years. And I'm even more so looking forward to us doing our adventure. Exactly. Uh, I was going to say the next the next sort of YouTube or screening or whatnot that your audience will see, hopefully between us two, will be yes. out there somewhere in the wild doing a cool adventure, man. I can't wait, mate. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, for anyone who doesn't know you, uh, where can they find you on Insta and stuff? Yeah, Insta, website, YouTube, which I've started putting more videos on there. It's just my my name, Ash Dykes, and uh, it's all there. Awesome. Well, listen, I'm sure you guys are going to want to follow much more of Ash. His stories are legendary and he's a lovely guy to boot. So uh, please, please do follow him. And I can't wait to do a round three with you as well. Definitely. Look forward to it. And guys, as always, I'm the Matt Haycox. That's T-H-E-M-A-T-T-H-A-Y-C-O-X on all things social. If you watch me on YouTube, you can listen to me on uh, iTunes 
iTunes, on Spotify, wherever you take your podcasts. If you listen to me, you can also see my pretty face if you jump over onto YouTube. So give me a follow, press subscribe, press like, any of those things if you don't already do it. And I'll see you in a future episode of The Matt Haycock Show. Thank you.